This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for August 16th, 2019. In this week's episode, recalled Macs are banned from flights, security issues with dating apps, a fake lightning cable is shown at DEF CON that can hijack your computer, and a vulnerability in printers makes the rounds. Now here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst Josh Long. August is a time of year when there are often hacker conventions. Hackers get together and they tell each other secrets and they give presentations and everything's everything's gee whiz, look what I discovered. It's kind of like they get up there and they've got this story to tell and they explain how they found something and how it works and everyone's really happy. And so we had two recently. Um, one was called DEF CON and one was called Black Hat. So we're going to talk a bit about that in the show. Uh, some of the things that they've discovered that affect Max. I, I want to start with a listener question from PJ. He wrote us to ask, uh, he says, I know that ransomware encrypts all of one's files, then demands payments to decrypt the files. I have files on my Mac internal drive, others on iCloud drive, and still others on Dropbox. If I fall victim to ransomware, will only the files on my internal drive be affected, or is ransomware somehow sophisticated enough to also mess up my iCloud and Dropbox files? Well, the first thing you need to understand is those iCloud and Dropbox and OneDrive and Google Drive files are on your Mac. But fortunately, they're also in the cloud, and most cloud services will let you go back to previous versions. Right. Yeah, so this is a really great question and something that I think a lot of people don't really think about when it comes to ransomware. Most people assume that ransomware is only going to target things that are maybe on their desktop, maybe only certain types of files. And that's that's true to a degree. But it is also possible for ransomware to have access to anything that you currently have access to. So if you've got any mounted network drives, if you know, you've got uh, with Dropbox uh, in particular, you have all the files from your Dropbox typically on your computer. And then whenever you modify one of those files, it uploads the modified version to Dropbox. Um, So the nice thing about many of these cloud services like Dropbox is that they have multiple versions that they retain for at least some period of time. So if you have some ransomware that overwrites something that's in your Dropbox, then hopefully you can go back and get a previous version of that file on Dropbox. Now, not all cloud services do this, and so that's something to be really aware of. Um, What I suggest doing is that if you've got one of these services and you're using that as your main backup location, to test this, you know, um, make a file, put it on your Dropbox or wherever you're uploading it, and then edit the file and then go into the the web interface of that service or wherever you have the most access to it and see if they give you any way to download a previous version. If they don't, that's not safe from ransomware. Often, if you have a free account, you might not have that option. Um, One thing to note with Dropbox in particular is that uh, if ransomware is going to grab your files, it's going to compress them into a zip archive or something like that. 
and then it's going to delete the files. It's going to put them in the trash and delete them. The Dropbox will notice that there were hundreds or even thousands of files that you've deleted, and it'll give you a notification asking if you're sure you want to do that. And I had a case recently where I had backed up my web server to my computer, and I wanted to delete the backup that I had put temporarily in Dropbox. And so Dropbox gave me an alert. Now, iCloud Drive doesn't let you go back to previous versions. Um, so all of these are really different. Now, I, my recommendation is to always have a time machine backup. And, and I occasionally use this, that I've done something to a file, and I need to go back to yesterday's version. You just enter time machine, you select it, and you restore it. Generally, ransomware isn't going to go for your external drives. It could, and I'm not sure that it could actually handle a time machine drive because of the way time machine works. We won't get into details, but you don't have, there's gazillions of files, but they're not really files the way they're written. And so I, I think ransomware would probably choke on something like that. Um, but what Josh said is a good point. Check whatever service you use and see if you can get previous versions. Yeah, one of the things that I think is really interesting to, to point out here is that uh, we, we usually think of ransomware because that's kind of what's in the news a lot. But there's also a different type of malware that just destroys anything that it finds. And, um, you know, whether it is ransomware or that uh, destructive type of malware, um, it could actually target your time machine backups as well. So my recommendation is that if, if you're going to back up your whole computer or even if there's only particular things that you want backed up, make sure you're using a, um, a cloud or off-site backup service, something where the drive is not mounted at all times so that ransomware can get access to it. And whatever service that you're using, make sure, again, that it has multiple versions. If you've got something that meets those criteria, then you should be fine in the case of a ransomware attack. It's still going to take some time, of course, to re-download anything if you're downloading it from a remote server you know where it had been backed up to but uh, at least you'll have a way to get your files back okay so in the news recently and it this is like groundhog day all over again isn't it yet another company admits that they've been listening to uh, audio conversations that people have been using this time it's facebook we haven't talked about facebook in at least two weeks so this is good that they've been reviewing messenger app audio with hundreds of contractors this affected users who chose to have Facebook's Messenger app transcribe their voice chats. Uh, now, I don't use Facebook Messenger. I refuse to install it. Um, if I get messages on Facebook, which I don't use a lot, I get them on the web. Uh, but there are certainly a number of message services like this can actually do transcription. And the transcription is hit or miss. If you've ever been in front of a TV where you've got the captions coming on, sort of five-second delay, you'll notice that a lot of things are wrong. And clearly what they're doing is they're having some people check the audio to see how good the transcription is. Now, yeah, this is a problem in a sense. Someone's listening to your phone calls, basically. Yeah, Messenger is, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I do have it installed on my iPhone, um, which I, I took a long time. When they broke it out as made it separate from the Facebook app, I probably waited as long as I reasonably could 
before finally installing the messenger app because I, I, I really didn't want to use it, but um, occasionally somebody will send me a message through Facebook messenger. Uh, I never ever use it as a way to initiate conversations unless that's literally the only way that I have of getting in contact with someone. If I don't have their phone number or any other way to contact them, um, because it's Facebook and, you know, we, we know how Facebook is with privacy and, um, you know, no, no matter how much Mark Zuckerberg wants to think that Facebook is going to become the privacy focused service, um, we haven't seen any evidence of that yet. So, uh, until things really change significantly there, I'm not really putting a lot of faith or trust in, in privacy and Facebook. Also in the news this week, if you travel and you have a MacBook Pro, you might have a problem. The FAA has banned recalled MacBook Pros from all flights. Recalled MacBook Pros. These are 2015 MacBook Pro with Retina display. And Apple has recalled it because there are possible uh, battery issues where they could catch fire. And the FAA is banning them. Now, I have enough trouble telling Mac models apart, and I do this for a living. Who is going to, is it going to be? Someone at the gate who's going to check your MacBook Pro to know if it's the one that's affected. I have no idea how they're actually going to do this. We're linking to an article in The Verge, and the person says, the FAA didn't explicitly ban the recalled MacBook Pro or its battery. It simply upheld an existing ban on recalled batteries. This just sounds kind of confusing. Yeah, this is one of those things where, um, you know, I, I remember when there was, uh, what was it, a Samsung phone that had been in the news for months. And I remember being on a, a, a flight and the flight attendant, you know, doing their routine safety announcements, they had to specifically call out that particular Samsung phone because they were really concerned about making, you know, wanting to make sure that that phone was not on the flight. Um, and I, it doesn't sound like this is going to be one of those things where, uh, every flight that you go on, that someone's going to be making a big announcement about if you have this specific model of MacBook, but it's something to be aware of. And it, this is sort of a general safety thing. Uh, it makes sense that if you have a device that may be affected and if you haven't checked it to make sure it's affected and guaranteed that it's not, um, well, you should do that before you go and fly with it. And you should do it before you leave it sitting around your house, because if it catches fire in your house, uh, in your car, in your office, wherever, it is a danger. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know if Apple actually notifies people when there is a problem like this. I've never had a Mac that's been recalled for this sort of issue. I, I don't know what their level of responsibility is regarding this. I think most of the time, the way that recalls work is that if you have registered your product then the company that you per, you know that manufactured the product has a responsibility to contact you and let you know but if you haven't registered your product if you haven't you know done something to uh, make sure that the company knows that you as an individual with your contact information available um has that product then the company may have no way of knowing which is why these things also make it to the general, you know, at, at the very least, the tech-specific news. And if you bought it directly from Apple, they'll know who bought it. But if you then sold it or gave it to someone else, then they won't be able to follow the traces. Right. So I would recommend if you have a 15-inch MacBook Pro, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to the Verge article that links to Apple's website. Check your serial number. Better safe than sorry. Have you ever had a vanity license plate? 
<laughs> I haven't, but I, I know a lot of people who do. I, I see these all the time on the road. They're pretty funny sometimes. People will come up with something clever to to say, you know, uh, a little. It's 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 hard to be clever when you've only got about seven characters on a license plate. Yeah, so we've got a story here in Wired of someone who decided he wanted to have a license plate with the word null, N-U-L-L. And he thought, oh, my wife can get void for her license plate, and so the car would say null and void. Of course, it was a bit of a problem with this. Right. Yeah. So this was kind of funny. This came out in in a a DEF CON hacker talk, but somebody was talking about how because of this, this was purely just for fun, right? This is a joke. Uh, They weren't trying to do anything uh, harmful. What happened was it basically broke the DMV computer systems that were analyzing these license plates and tying them to particular vehicles. And what happened is that if an officer had forgotten to fill in the license plate number on one of these reports, then that would return null because it was left blank. And null happened to be registered as an actual license plate, N-U-L-L, and so rather than it being a null value, it was actually associated with this person's vehicle. And so they were getting all kinds of tickets uh, from two in this ha- apparently happened in 2014. And uh, so some of them, some of the tickets were from back in 2014. And he said, I didn't even have the plate back then. But now all of a sudden, these things are being associated with my vehicle. And uh, he said all up and down the California coast, he's got, you know, fines of uh, up to like $80. Uh, and he said, I've never even been to some of these cities. Like, how how is it possible that I'm getting all these things? And it's probably easy for him to prove that he wasn't in these cities. He's going to have records of being at work or on a plane or, or wherever. Yeah. At one point, he had $12,000 of traffic fines. <laughs> um, that would be a bit of a, a bit of a problem. I've always found the vanity license plate thing a bit, I don't know, sophomoric. But I guess if you really want to, you know, your, your favorite sports team, your favorite band, whatever, you know, people do it. So, okay. I saw an article last week that said the majority of people now meet their partners or spouses online through dating apps or dating services. Uh, And that's pretty interesting because these have only been around for, well, they've been around since the internet, I guess, and even AOL probably had things like that. But that it's gotten to be the majority that's sort of the default way that people meet. And of course, when people use these things, they put all sorts of personal data into them. And it turns out that four major dating apps uh, in an article on ZDNet exposed precise locations of 10 million users. We've talked about locations before, and locations are really a problem. Uh, If someone knows where you are, they know where you're not. If someone knows where you are regularly, they know where you are regularly. There's enough risk using dating apps, not knowing the people you're communicating with. Um, This just makes it even more worrisome. Right. This this group um, called Pentest Partners tried a bunch of different services. They tried Grindr, Romeo, Recon, and they found that with these services, it was it was possible to basically triangulate the exact location of certain people. I, th- this is hard to imagine that these services could leak that much information, but um, it, it, I'm really glad that people are doing this kind of research and making it known to the public rather than just hiding this and using it, you know, in targeted attacks against people. 
Um, this is the kind of thing that needs to be found, needs to be resolved. And uh, what I believe some of these companies have already done is to uh, limit the preciseness of the the GPS, you know, uh, locations of these users so to sort of put them in a certain block on a grid rather than pinpointing their exact location, which is a much safer way to do this, depending on how big that block on the grid is. Yes, that's true. Um, if that block on a grid is a beach somewhere and there's only one place where people congregate, um, then you can be spotted. And, and the real risk here, and they mentioned in the article, is um, particularly LGBT people uh, in countries where that sort of practice is illegal, like Saudi Arabia, if people find what you're doing and who you are and where you are, that could have serious uh, consequences for you. Right. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about all the cool things that Josh found from this year's Hackers Convention. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Josh was gallivanting in Monaco at the Objective by the Sea Security Conference, and uh, we gave you a link to a PDF of the slides of his conference, and now I will include a link to a video of Josh uh, presenting. His, his talk is called Fun with Mac Malware Attribution. I'll link back to the episode of the podcast where we discussed this. Um, you'll be able to see what Josh looks like, actually, without his mask. Right, Yeah. That's true. I'm not actually wearing a mask in, in, when I give yes. this talk. Yeah, th- and this is the full 28-minute version. We, I think we gave a link to a short YouTube version that I just recorded as, uh, you know, if you want the quick summary version that was five minutes, this is the full 28 minutes and change with Q&A and all that stuff. So this is the... And it's really quite interesting. It really is. Um, we just wanted to make a quick mention about some Mac OS updates, Josh. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're getting to the black hat and DEF CON stuff, but, but there was something interesting that happened this week. Um, if you're subscribed to the Apple security list, they will send you email alerts whenever there are security updates. 
Um, this is the same thing that you can find on Apple's website. If you go to, if you do a Google search for HT201222, <laughs> which is the, the, how do you know that? <laughs> I have this memorized because I Google this all the time to get to that page on Apple's site, but that's the, uh, the page where Apple has all of their security updates. And so whenever there's, there's updates, you can subscribe to this email list. I got an email and they said, Hey, there's a bunch of updates. And I started looking closely at them and I was like, well, wait a minute. This is available for macOS Mojave 10.14.5. We have 10.14.6 out now. And so I looked at it a little more closely and realized that what was going on with these updates was that it was Apple announcing that there are some newly disclosed vulnerabilities that they've added to previous reports. So we got a bunch of patches on July 22nd, which we talked about on the the next episode of the podcast after that date. And what happened was with all of the Mac operating, Mac, iPhone, um, iPad, iPod Touch, Apple Watch, Apple TV, all of these had updates released at that time. And there was a Bluetooth vulnerability that has been discovered uh, that affects all of these Apple operating systems that... That was patched back on July 22nd, and Apple is now notifying the public because this vulnerability has been disclosed to the public. And so even though it was already patched, now they're giving some details and letting everyone know that, yes, this has been fixed in Apple products as well. There was also one thing that was just for macOS, and in fact, just for macOS Mojave, which is kind of interesting, and I'll explain why. And this was a vulnerability, two vulnerabilities actually found in CUPS. Now, CUPS is the printer framework uh, that's kind of used behind the scenes in macOS, and there was apparently a couple of CUPS related CUPS vulnerabilities, and they were only patched for macOS Mojave. Now, what I find really interesting about this is even if you've got the latest version of, uh, of cups installed, which you can check if, if you're running uh, macOS Mojave, there's a terminal command you can run to find out what version of cups you're running. And the version of cups that you get when you've got this latest patch from Apple is the same version that was still around back like at the end of last year. Um, so what's interesting about this is it seems like Apple maybe did a custom patch. And the other thing that was kind of funny about this is we we tried doing web searches for these vulnerability numbers. We talked about CVE numbers. Uh, and we couldn't find any information about either of these two numbered vulnerabilities. So maybe what's going on here is that there's vulnerabilities that apply to all CUPS versions that have only been patched in Apple's product. Um, we don't know all the details, but what is very interesting is that High Sierra runs a, a similar, if not the same version of Cups, and High Sierra did not get this patch. So th- that doesn't necessarily mean High Sierra is affected, but we have seen this happen before from Apple, where open source software that's on multiple versions of macOS only gets patched sometimes for the current version of macOS. Um, so... Another reason to upgrade to Mojave if you're not already on Mojave. And you'll soon be needing to upgrade to Catalina in probably about a month or so. So one of the stories that caught my eye and it got a lot of um, coverage in the press is someone presented at Black Hat a lightning cable that looks exactly like that white lightning cable. You know, the USB to lightning cable you use to plug your phone or your iPad into your computer. 
except the cable could hijack your computer. According to an article in Vice that we'll link to, it could give an attacker a way to remotely tap into your computer. Now, I don't think people realize uh, exactly what's in these cables. If you ever have a cable that breaks or frays, um, take it apart carefully and look inside. There's all sorts of little chips in them. Uh, these, these are miniature computing devices. They're not self-powered. Of course, they get power from the devices they're connected to. But there's all sorts of processors. And a hacker can stick something of their own into one of these cables. Yeah, what's so fascinating about this is this cable really seriously looks exactly like an Apple cable, a lightning cable. It's, you know, the, the white cable that you get with your iPhone. That's exactly what this looks like. They even went so far as to put the uh, little cardboard tabs around them. The same thing that you find in an Apple box. And what this really does, though, is embedded within the fat end of the cable, the part that plugs into your computer, is um, a little Wi-Fi access point. And so what it allows uh, an attacker to do, if they've given you this cable and you plug it in and, you know, maybe uh, they'll say, oh, hey, do you want to charge your, your iPhone? Oh, yeah, sure. And maybe you know better. Maybe you've heard of trust jacking, which we've talked about before. Um, and so you don't want to plug your device into someone else's. Maybe you're a little bit leery about that. And so you're like, yeah, well, if I'm just plugging it into my own computer, that's no problem, right? I can charge from that and I don't have anything to worry about. But if someone has given you a cable or if someone has sneaked into your bag and swapped out your Apple lightning charging cable with this special cable, then they could actually spy on you. What's the thing you mentioned a couple of episodes ago? The made, the something made the attack? The evil made attack, yeah. The evil made attack. An evil maid comes into your hotel room and switches out your cable for another one. <laughs> uh, you know, if you go to a hotel, you've got your cable in a, in, in a charger someplace, you leave it sitting on a table, the evil maid comes in and it's over. How can we trust anything, really? Yeah, you know, w when you get to things like this, where something as small as a cable... I mean, like you has a Wi-Fi access point. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first airport device that Apple made. It was like a, the width was about the size of a dessert plate and it was a couple of inches high. You know, it was that flying saucer shape. It was quite large and it had a power supply and probably had to have airflow and there were other chips, but now you can stick it in the little USB plug of a cable. It's, I just don't know how we can trust anything anymore. I don't want to be, you know, totally paranoid, but we should be paranoid and worry about this. Uh, if someone does give you a cable to connect your computer, think twice. Right. Yeah. And and if you do, uh, you know, travel with cables or if you have people who may sometimes have access to wherever you keep your cables, maybe do something with your cable to um, so that you can uniquely identify it and make sure that it really is your cable. Uh, and now it is possible that this guy who created these cables, which he's planning to sell if he's not already. Um, he actually said that uh, he can modify Apple, real official Apple cables to do this, but it's not going to be something that you can do in a matter of a couple of minutes. Like you need time to actually no. open it up. So what I would suggest is, you know, keep your charging cables with you uh, as often as you reasonably can. Um, and, the other thing is I would just maybe put a mark on them or something, you know, in some hidden place. Take an indelible marker and 
Think like a black mark on yeah, it. Yeah, some, something where you can easily identify that this is definitely my cable and not another one that someone has swapped in. Wow, the things we have to do. So in the last episode, we talked about the fact that Apple was going to launch a bug bounty program for the Mac. Uh, they'll be paying up to a million dollars for Mac and iOS bugs. I was going to drop something into the episode, but I just put something in the show notes because we were pretty sure this was going to happen, and it did. Right. Um, not a whole lot extra to say about that. The other thing uh, that we also mentioned last week was that Apple did also announce that they're giving basically developer type iPhone devices to trusted security researchers that Apple has vetted uh, under a new iOS security research device program. So they have officially announced that as well. Um, so this is all really good news. Um, it, it makes it possible for security researchers to have more incentive to communicate with Apple and report bugs that they're finding, which is really, really great news. Okay. Uh, we do have a lot. So really quickly, we're just going to go through a couple of things. Um, Patrick Warder with security research. You've mentioned a number of times. He gave a talk about harnessing weapons of Mac destruction. Clever. I like that. And we're going to link to a slide deck um, quickly. Walk us through this. Yeah, the the real short 30-second version is that Patrick took a bunch of existing Mac malware and thought, hmm, you know, I bet it would be kind of fun to tweak this and see if I could do something else with it or use it to my advantage instead of, you know, the original creator's advantage. And he was able to do a lot of really clever things with existing malware and repurpose it. Uh, and that's what this talk is all about. Um, hackers can turn everyday speakers into acoustic cyber weapons, says Wired. Y- you know, there's been this story about diplomats in Cuba, and they were worried about some sort of acoustic attack. And I remember reading recently that in brain scans, their brains look different. What in the world is going on here? Well, there's a lot of interesting potential things that one could do with an acoustic attack. Um, What would be more interesting to me would be something like maybe psychological warfare, you know, things like that. One of the things that was talked about here is basically the same thing we've mentioned before, a dolphin attack. But if you don't remember what that is, it's essentially it's playing back audio at a frequency that the human ear can't really detect it. Um, but a smart device can detect it and so, and it can actually take commands from it. So the idea here is that basically you, uh, have something play some audio that gives you a smart device, some command that can p- potentially be used against you in some way. Um, so, you know, this is uh, a way that, Everyday speakers can be turned into acoustic cyber weapons. You take the speaker and you make it send out some audio that is going to be used to do something to one of these smart listening devices around you. The idea of psychological attacks isn't new. I read recently uh, some town in the UK, um, in order to get rid of teenagers that were hanging out someplace, they put speakers up and they started playing opera. (laughs) Because only the, the kids could hear that particular the frequency. The kids wouldn't I like assume. opera, they figured. Yeah. yeah. No, no, because the kids don't like opera. Oh, I see. This Is wasn't that... even like at a pitch that only kids could hear. This was just... No, 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 no. <laughs> but I did hear that. I did hear that once. Someone else did that at a higher pitch. Yeah, that adults, that older adults wouldn't right. hear. Um, I, I did a hearing test a few years ago, 
and I think my hearing drops out at around 13,000 hertz. Okay. Now, generally, speakers and microphones, they have a range from about 20 to 20,000 hertz. Um, I remember my son, when he did it, he got up to like 18 or 19,000. So it's true that younger people are going to hear the higher sounds than older people are. Um, but this was simply to play opera because kids don't like opera and they would go someplace gotcha. else. Okay, last story. Um, DEFCON, dozens of vulnerabilities in six leading enterprise printers. Now, we we really don't think about the issues with printers, but printers are important because printers store in memory what they're printing. And if if a printer is printing a contract, for instance, that contract is going to be in memory. Printers have enough memory to hold lots of pages until it's overwritten. And if there's a vulnerability in a business's printer, this is a Tom Cruise type thing where they'll try to get into the printer over the internet to get access to a contract that could be top secret. Right. So these researchers discovered uh, literally dozens of vulnerabilities. And these are major printer manufacturers, including HP, Xerox, Lexmark, Brother, uh, and a couple, at least a couple of other brands that I've heard of before. And so you very likely could have one of these printer brands, maybe not necessarily a model that's affected by this, but it's worth looking into the research. And I like to tell people, you know, if it's been a while since you purchased your printer, and in particularly if it's been a while since you last checked to see if there were firmware updates available for it, most network printers have user installable firmware. And if you can access your printer over the network, if you can, uh, you know, go to its IP address in a browser, this is a very common thing, actually, to be able to pull up your printer in a browser by its IP address. And if you've never put in an administrator password, if it's still like open and available for anyone who wants to, to edit your settings, um, definitely I recommend putting a password on, on your printer and also check for firmware updates because there are vulnerabilities discovered in printers and we almost never really hear about these things, but if somebody wants to attack you, this is yet another way that they can do that. Um, so make sure that you patch your printer too. Yeah, I have two, uh, Wi-Fi printers. One is a black and white laser printer and one is a color photo printer. And both of them have web interfaces. If I put their IP addresses in, there are all sorts of features and options. And, you know, if someone gets onto the Wi-Fi network, they can load uh, software into one of those one of those interfaces. I, I mean, they're designed for you to upload firmware, um, for example. Um, so, yeah, if you're in a business particularly and you're doing sensitive things, if you're a, a legal firm, an accounting firm, you probably need your IT team to take a close look at your printers and make sure that they're up to date. Good advice. Okay, that's enough for this week. Next week, we're going to take a deep dive into a question we get asked a lot. Do Macs need an antivirus? Until then, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>